Hello. Very good. Maria, hi. How are we doing? Are you good? Good. All good. Thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you very much. Um, so just to introduce, welcome everybody to those of you who've joined us on today's LinkedIn Live. As you know, I run these uh, pretty much every week now, actually different subjects, different bits of content. Great chance to get together, I think, and chat about what's going on in the world of recruitment, uh, both here in the UK and obviously overseas. Those of you who are joining us live, thank you. If you have any questions at any stage, please pop them in the chat or in the comment section, and we'll make sure we answer those questions as we go today. Or if we don't get a chance to, we'll certainly answer them um, afterwards. Yeah. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is James Osborne. Um, I'm a, a non-exec director and advisor to a number of recruitment organizations and also co-founder of the Recruitment Network, which is a global advisory community. And our focus is around helping recruitment organizations maximize their performance, their productivity, and their profitability. Um, quick overview about the market. Um, I spent a lot of time today in particular, actually, I've had a fascinating day today, talking about the market, talking about the market conditions, what's going on at the moment. Um, my summary is pretty simple. This is not a difficult market at the moment. It's just a different market. Um, I think some recruitment organizations have had an absolute blinding time. We've had three record quarters reported already this week. Um, from the last quarter across the TRN community. Um, in the last two days, I put a post on this on, on the other day on social media. We've had a 160K mini RPO one. We've had an embedded solution one over in the US, um, et cetera, et cetera. So some people are doing really well. Some have had it found a little bit tougher and some people have had a bit of a shocker, let's be honest about it. So um, <laughs> what's happened off the back of that is people are now starting to think a little bit different about their business moving into 2024 um, and looking at potentially part of that process is the geographical footprint of where they're doing business. There's been a lot of talk as we all know about the wonderfulness of, is that even a word, wonderfulness of the US market. Um, so what we wanted to do today was just have a sort of a 25 minute chat over, over lunch, if you've got your lunch with you, um, to talk about the sort of the why, the when, the where, and the how to do with, uh, yeah. with the US recruitment market. And US, don't forget, we're also talking about Canada as well. Let's not forget our Canadian friends. The, um, from me, from my point of view, things to think about from a why perspective, the size of the addressable market, the opportunity mm -hmm. for growth over in the US, the ability to diversify your business, de-risk slightly, the value that you can get with the deal sizes. And this is stuff that Maria and I are going to chat about in a second. Um, when is the time to do it? We'll talk about that. But one thing I will say, this is not a time to do it as a replacement for what you're not getting right in the UK first. So make sure your business is flying on all cylinders first in the UK before you start looking elsewhere. Don't do, use this as a, re a replacement potentially. Where should you go? This is going to be a conversation we're definitely going to get into. Is like where is the low hanging fruit? Not only from a which state by state point of view, but also what aligns to your um, your your current business strategy, including your existing client base, the markets that you're working, etc. And then obviously the how process is what we're here to discuss discuss today. So um, I'm invited on. Many of you know PGC Group. They're um, Gold partners of TRM, massive fans of them. They are the go-to people, I think, in the U.S. market. Um, Director of U.S. Expansion, Maria, um, has joined us today. So, again, Maria, thank you for, for coming along today. Um, very quick, well, I'll do this for you, Maria, nice and simple. For those of you not familiar with PGC Group, um, they've been working with recruitment organizations and recruitment founders for over, I think, almost 25 years now, um, enabling them to set up, engage, and compliantly payroll contractors in the U.S. and Canada. They have a, a wide raft of services and products and that they offer everything all the way through to agent and record services in the USA and more besides. And I'm sure if you're interested to find out more about PGC, I'd highly recommend that you do so. As a reminder, again, if you've got any questions, put them in the chat. We've had a few questions already coming through. I'm now going to hand over to Maria. Maria, over to you. Give us a bit of an overview about the, uh, what you see is going on and what we should be thinking about regarding US. Love it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Great, great intro. Just delete my first paragraph. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as James mentioned, we've been in the market for over 23 years now. 
purely focused on North America, so US and Canada. We work alongside recruitment and staffing businesses to make sure that you're really entering and scaling across the market as best you can. So I thought it would be good to kind of go right to the beginning and just paint a picture of the US market. So I've got a couple of slides that we'll go through and we can definitely touch on what's happening, where people are moving. I think post-COVID, we've seen huge movement with not only where talent is going, but where end clients are also moving to. So just kind of jumping in and looking at the value of the staffing market, um, I think would be a good place to start. I think I've got some slides, if you can see those. I'm going to jump up in a minute. Um, but here you'll just see, so 2022, global staffing industry estimated to have generated just shy of $623 billion. Of that, 57% was generated in three countries alone, which is just mind boggling to think of that. Um, you've got the US, which stands absolutely kind of leaps ahead in first position, which makes up 34% of the market share. Um, if you just do quick comparison, UK to US, um, over in the UK, you've got 8%. So the UK came third place um, with those kind of countries that are generating revenue. Third on the list for generating revenue with just shy of $55 billion um, in the UK, got that 8% market share with about 33 active agencies fighting for that 8%. Over in the US, you've got four times the market share and actually less active recruitment and staffing firms fighting for that. So you really see a much less saturated market. Um, and we kind of coin it as a bit of a blue ocean to go after. And I mm -hmm. think the key things that we see being one of the biggest differences is, as you mentioned, James, the value of deal size. So you've got far more business to go after with far less competition. So I think those kind of stats really speak for themselves when you're just looking at what is the opportunity like in the US market? Um, you can see there just the huge amount of revenue you've got to go after. Definitely. And Maria, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of knock your statistics in any way. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm doing, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for this one, potentially. Yeah, yeah. but, um, but how much of those figures are skewed potentially by the size of the contract market in the U S the healthcare market, which obviously is a big, big player over there, yeah. et cetera. So I just want to make sure that, that people really understand the sort of the, the eye watering size of the market, but in the reality terms. Yeah. Good question. So one thing that might paint a bit of color, um, you can see the UK market, $54.5 billion dollars. Just the tech market in the US alone is 50, uh, $49 billion, so nearly $50 billion. So just the tech market pretty much makes up the whole of the UK market. Mm. Um, you're absolutely right. Healthcare, obviously everything being privatized in the US is absolutely ginormous. Um, but even just as standalone markets, like the tech market in the US makes up about 30% of the economy in the US. So there is still huge opportunity to go after. Um, Absolutely. And I think and I think that's a really valid point, though, isn't it? Because often we talk a lot about the tech recruitment world. That's obviously the obvious one everyone is buzzing yeah. up about. But you know, look at education. The education market in the US is enormous, right, as an yeah. example. Uh, accountancy and finance, professional services, still really, really strong in comparison. So this is not a conversation today just about if you're a tech recruiter. These are all those other markets out there which are just as exciting. Yeah, so I think education's predicted to grow 20% next wow. year mm -hmm. in the staffing market um engineering five percent so i know today we're kind of high level looking at 
the market as staffing and recruitment. But if there's anyone on the call that is industry specific, we've got a load of data as well that dives into the finance, the tech, the marketing, you know, anything you're looking for, we can pull kind of data specific um, and industry specific insights for you. Excellent. And, and that, that piece around the margins as well. So I, I had, so again, I'm not, I don't want to question your, your, da, your yeah. data on here, but I, I had average margins over in the US. I think this was from an S, the SIA, I think it was, was around yeah. about sort of 23%, just under 23% average. Yeah. So, is, is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, I think last year, from the reports that we've seen in our, our clients, we had about 24.7 was the average kind of signed terms. Mm-hmm. Um, we see our clients go in at about 30% across permanent contracts so one thing we'll always say you know don't take UK pricing strategy to the US um you know don't undercut yourself know your value I think where you see that 45% is more on the contract side um because of the way you can price and kind of structure out contract deals um you can actually be a bit more flexible and play around with the margins that you're going to be charging to clients mm-hmm. we've had a new um joiner at PGC who has just come from a US contract and perm background and we were picking her brain and saying oh you know what are the biggest margins you saw in the US and she said one of her counterparts actually had an 80% margin on a contract deal that they they placed so I think on the contract side where you've got lack of talent in demand roles you can inflate those margins a bit more but we definitely say as a rule of thumb go in at 30% and your average your sign turns around 25% mm-hmm. um I think one other thing that we see that's quite different in the US than the UK is there's a less contingent recruitment. So we actually see a lot of clients get asked to be retained um, and they'll say, hey, can we give you some upfront commitment now so you can work exclusively on this role? So we've seen a lot of businesses as well kind of pivot their strategy to perhaps go retained first. Um, because again, speaking to the stats on the screen, you've not got as saturated a market. So you can be a bit more competitive when it comes to what you're offering, your value add, um, the fees and whether it is retained as well. So something to think about there as well. Yeah, I think that's something to think about in any market, by the way, not just yeah. the US market. To make that really, really clear. But but again, as well, though, if you look at that, the impact that the, those higher margins have, uh, I know you're going to talk probably in a second around about sort of the, the ease of doing business in the US markets, mm-hmm. everything else. Now you add all those factors together, plus more of a, a an embedded retained sort of relationship, then actually the the net contribution per placement is much higher as well. So yeah. even though we're talking higher margins, actually the net contribution is even higher if you compare that as well. So that makes yeah. it very lucrative from that perspective. Yeah, yeah, huge. Um, especially salaries as well. Like I joke with some of my clients, they're like, "We love the US. We've been doing it from afar, so we've not got talent on the ground yet." And then as soon as they want to engage a, a recruiter on the ground in the US, I'll be like, oh, my gosh, like they're so expensive. And it's like, well, yeah, like you've been taking advantage of the US market with the higher salaries. So yeah. what do you expect? But I'd say as well, yeah, higher margins, higher salaries. Um, one thing that we hear time and time again is also just what the recruitment industry is kind of viewed as a profession in the US. Um, I know in the UK, you know, and I come from a recruitment background myself, but in the UK, you can sometimes be, well, you're a recruiter, you know, everyone's a recruiter. It's a bit of a snaky industry. In the US, (laughs) you're really seen as kind of a value added partner. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of the biggest drivers for that is at will employment. Um, So on a federal level in the US, all workers, whether you're perm or contract, whether you are a VP or an intern, everything is engaged at will 
So a worker or an employer can terminate a contract without reason and without notice. So it makes for a really, really transient market. So if you're a, a recruiter um, and you're really embedded into your end client strategies, cultures, um, you know, their growth, what they're looking for. If I lose my VP at the drop of a hat and I know that, James, you're a recruiter and you know my business inside and out, I'm not going to go out to market or I'm not at least going to sit and think I can fill the role for two months. I don't have that um you know, privilege to wait around. I need someone to get me talent and to fill it immediately. So it's far more sticky um, yeah. in the US. And I think if you can really, really demonstrate your competency, your knowledge, your expertise, and your value add, you're actually going to have clients phoning you once you've kind of demonstrated what you can do rather than that cold call. Fantastic. Thank you. And you, you talk about this being a less saturated market. Josh has asked the question, you know, 27,000 agencies active in the US. Is that US-based agencies registered in the US or does that mean yes. saying to incorporate all the offshore businesses? <laughs> There's a lot of them who, yeah. are currently, who are currently going into that addressable marketplace. Yeah. So that's for registered businesses in the US. I think, Josh, that is a really good point because a lot of UK agencies now, which maybe don't incorporate or register an entity yet in the US, are servicing the US market from afar. Mm. Um that being said, you can just see the valuation of the numbers available in the US and it's still huge. Um, yeah. I think, you know, regardless if you've got people on the ground or afar, that it's four times the size of a UK market. Um, also UK recruiters, because they've kind of been grown and nurtured in a very saturated market. You really know your kind of processes, your knowledge, you, you've got fast, you know, shortlisting um, turnarounds. I would say you put a UK recruiter in the US market and they just stand, you know, heads above what an average US recruiter is. Um, I think the US isn't as kind of niche as the UK. So where in the UK, we kind of say, you know, what's your niche? Like literally go an inch wide, mile deep. In the US, a standard US staffing firm might just say, hey, what vacancies do you have? Like anything from a PA to a software developer. Um, mm. Whereas you don't you don't want to be doing that, obviously. Um, but US recruitment agencies have still kind of got that historic generalist view. Yeah. Um, so I think there's loads to be said for kind of UK recruiters still entering the market. A lot of people say, are we too late? There's been, you know, ships and heaps of people going over to the US. Absolutely not. The UK can fit inside of Texas three times. Like there's so much opportunity to be had. Yeah, but it's how you do it, right? And you've got to do it properly. Can, can we, as we're talking through this, we are talking about the US. Can we just touch on Canada? Because um, I'm a massive yep. fan of Canada, um, yep. just generally. What, what What's your sort of take on the Canadian market um, as a principle? Yeah. yeah, so Canada, in all honesty, kind of came as a secondary for PGC. But I'd honestly mm. say in the last year, two years, we have seen it as one of the fastest growing um, kind of locations for your staffing and recruitment. My colleague Will and I were literally touching on this yesterday on how we are just getting increased and increased kind of questions, queries about Canada. I mean, there's a treaty between Canada and US. So we've seen a lot of Canadian clients wanting to harness US talent, a lot of US clients harnessing Canadian talent. So I think Canada is definitely one to watch. Yeah. Um, they're slightly more, I would say, in favor of kind of the employee um laws and compliances so whereas the us you don't have your um notice periods you don't have to give pto you don't have to give 401k 
Canada is far more focused on kind of you know the employee benefits, so it can get a, a bit stickier on the compliance piece. But I think you're absolutely right, James. If someone's looking at the US, you'd be silly not to look at Canada because it is a massive market that is growing, one of the fastest growing markets at the moment internationally. Yeah, we, we've got some of the members now who are, who are focusing on the Canadian markets, actually, interesting enough. Yeah. And, there's, and they're developing delivery centers in Brazil to support yeah. them just with the yeah. time difference and everything else. So it's really fascinating to watch how that's trained. And that's all coming out of the UK, right? So yeah. uh, it's interesting. OK, cool. Yeah, we've we've seen more of more of that as well in the US um, mm. where people have said, you know, we might get BD people on the ground, but then we're going to have delivery teams outside of the US. So it, it's quite interesting to look at how people are structuring their teams. Um, also location wise and i know this is a massive topic post covid um of where people think hey where should we go in the us you know people traditionally have looked at your new yorks your californias um there's been a massive shift um in location off the back of covid and people talent and clients realizing you can work remotely yeah where, where, where are you? And obviously, we always talk about the obvious ones, California, Texas, New York, yeah. Florida, now New Jersey, etc. But yeah. where, where, where would you suggest are sort of the real up and coming gold hotspots? Because obviously, you know, there's some obvious ones. That, and, that, and again, you can say this, we're not we're not saturated, but it is busy in some places. Yeah. If you were really looking at some real hotspots, where would you be sort of pointing people towards? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, obviously, last year, year before was Texas. Austin gets massively shouted about. I think following Austin was Florida. Um, so we then saw a lot of tech finance hubs in Tampa um, and Miami. Um, I think Forbes voted them one and two for top emerging tech hubs. I'd say the two that we've seen massive growth in, um, North Carolina. Mm. Um, so our onboards as a business increased 380% year on year from last year to this year. Um, so that's huge. I think North Carolina, they've got the research triangle. So you've got Raleigh, Durham um, and Charlotte. So you're getting a lot of talent moved to North Carolina. Um, they've also got kind of taxes. They're looking at abolishing corporation tax in North Carolina, reducing income tax. So if you're keeping your eye on different states, you'll see that a lot of governments will put in incentives to draw businesses and talent there. So, you know, federal income tax is across the whole of the US, but state by state, a lot of businesses um, will be moving where they're seeing decreasing um, corporation tax and income tax. Um, so, yeah, the research triangle in North Carolina is huge. And also Tennessee, we're actually seeing huge growth in Tennessee. Um, so where we would have seen people talk about kind of the Austins, the Miamis, the Florida, I think North Carolina and Tennessee are going to be hubs that are growing. But what I couldn't stress more to when I speak to clients is you need to go somewhere that really excites you as a business. Um, you know, it's all well and good looking on paper and seeing that the opportunity and the cost are really favorable but if you get on a plane and you visit somewhere and you're like you know what this isn't lighting fire in my my stomach I'm not getting excited you need to be really buying into where you're going where you're wanting to set up the business so we usually advise that our clients do a recruit from afar model um, yep. I think the barriers to entry in the US are much lower than a lot of businesses think um, and actually you can operate from your UK business um, and you can do a pretty good job of making yourself look like a US business, which, again, I would say definitely do, because 
you know, the US are a very proud nation. You're going to want to look like you've got a real intent um, and purpose in the US market. Um, but whilst you're doing an operation from afar, go and look at different hubs, like go and meet clients, go and map out where talent pools are and clients are and make sure you get excited about those locations. You know, it's no good going to Charlotte if you'd rather be getting on a plane to Tampa or Miami or Austin every time. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's a kind of a short list that we put together of how you really focus on what states you might want to kind of focus on. Yeah, we, we have some very with companies we advise. We have some very clear rules about what you can and can't yeah. do, basically. So, for example, as you quite rightly said, you should be trading for a certain period of time from the UK into the US, hitting yeah. certain trigger points, certain consistency of net contribution yeah. before you start putting boots on the ground. That has to happen. So many people I've seen go over there with clients going, yeah, come over and we'll give you loads of business. And they get there. It's like no one's there all of a sudden. They've all gone out. Yeah. So um, that's the important piece around it. I think also that alignment piece as well. So strategically, it has to align to your business drivers. If you're in the UK, you know, yeah. have you got clients who've got US subsidiaries or US partners, et cetera, yeah. that you can piggyback off and, and straight into? So there's that low-hanging fruit. Yeah. You know, there, there is a cost implication starting as you start building up into the US. And the quicker you can start getting that net contribution back, it should be paying, paying for itself as that growth thing rather than a heavy cost yeah. and or a distraction, I suppose, to your current UK business. A um, couple of quick questions that are coming through. I, yeah. I want to drop these in as we go to make sure we get through to them. Um, uh, from, uh, do, UK's, uh, do, sorry, do US subsidiaries of UK headquartered businesses still to, to, uh, tend to pay higher fee percentages or does the UK ownership tend to bring it back down to UK averages? Yeah, I would say it, it's much harder. Um, a lot of our clients will either mirror what their UK terms are or they will have a completely separate set of terms for the US, which I think I spotted another question, but we would strongly advise having US focused terms of business um, mm -hmm. for both your perm, but more so your contract because the laws are so different. Um, so I think, unfortunately, if you've got a really long-standing UK relationship and you're on 20% terms or 18% terms, um, you might have to take those over to the US. I would always say, hey, go with your US terms first. Um, but also don't forget, you've got your higher salaries, so the fee is going to be higher as well. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, superb. And um, there's another question I want to get into, um, mm -hmm. which is sort of coming through, which is around this whole piece around... Okay, if we're going to go to the US, how do we start marketing ourselves? How do we yeah. start selling, et cetera, et cetera? In fact, just before we do, actually, just a quick question. On those terms, um, yeah. do people need different terms for different states or one set of US terms is enough? No, so you can have one set of terms, one perm, one contract. Um, they can reflect all the kind of state-by-state state laws, but what you will see is your set of terms will be registered to a jurisdiction. So. Yeah. For example, PGC have got one set of terms, but they're registered um, to the jurisdiction of New York. Basically, that means if we ever needed to take a client to court or you ever needed to pursue a court case, it would be carried out yeah. in the state where the jurisdiction is. But for example, contract um, over time varies state by state, but you can have one set of terms to say overtime will be paid as per the state laws um, around overtime. So yeah. you can kind of have one blanket terms. Perfect. Thank you. So um, talking about the marketing and sales process, and, and again, yes. one of the other guides or rules or, or triggers that we say is that if you're going to put somebody over into the US, please make them a sales fo focused person. Yeah. Uh, we've seen too many people go over there with almost like a 180 type leader who's gone over there um, and they haven't driving the sales. So I, I look at that your first boots on the ground or first real plant in the US has to be very much someone who's a sales led person more than anything yes. else. 
Can we, can we talk a little bit more about the marketing and sales approach, how that differs? There are obviously cultural differences, not only between yeah. the UK and US, but also state by state as well. Give us your yeah. sort of thoughts around the sort of marketing and what we need to do to ready ourselves, I suppose, to be yeah. marketing and sales ready. Yeah. So I'd say before you even pick up the phone and speak to a client, like get your business. And I always call it a bit of a shop front US focus. I say, you know, Americans are very proud, rightly so. But you're going to want to show that you have got real intent and purpose in entering the US market. So whether that's building another kind of landing page on your website, changing the spelling, whether that's getting um, US phone numbers. So when you're phoning candidates, they're reflective of local dials to the state that you're phoning. Um, other things like P.O. boxes, having presence, um, U.S. dollar accounts so that you can invoice in your local currency. But also as a business, you can manage and hedge currencies when you're pulling it back into the U.K. Um, some of the insights you're sharing on LinkedIn. I mean, I'm sure everyone sees the hundreds of recruiters that have got New York as their location, but actually they might be operating from their U.K. office. Um, so just kind of operationally what you see from the front as soon as you pick up the phone if someone's going to google you and see what you're doing make sure you're being seen to be intentional in the u.s market um i would absolutely say that i would say state by state when it comes to a sales strategy a lot can change so you know if you're in new york it's very much you come in you do your elevator pitch what are you selling how much are you selling it for why should i use you goodbye i'll let you know yeah. whereas <laughs> the southern states are a lot more warmer. So they want to get to know you. They're very happy to help. They'll probably spend a bit more of a niceties like of having a conversation and what you do and where you're from and what your family are all about before you go and pitch business. So I think it's really key to understand the cultural differences in the states that you're locating um, yep. or targeting. And again, that's why we wouldn't say do the East Coast in one go. We'd say where in the East Coast are you going and kind of niche down that way. Yep. Um, I think, James, you touched on it really briefly, but harness your existing network in the UK. Look at what clients you've got. Look at which have got subsidiaries, sister companies, you know, how you can just really simply tweak and sell in that you're now doing US. So I would set yourself up operationally, but also kind of from a, a perspective of what you look like to be able to target the US and then just have warm conversations with existing clients um, in the US market. I'd say the US is so, so, so relationship driven. Um, there's really quite low risk, low cost ways of getting your name in the market. So on your Esther, you can do trips out to the US, you know, set your, your team a target. Once we hit 250,000 of revenue, we're going to do a team trip out to wherever we're targeting and do some client trips, um, client meetings, candidate events, roundtables. Like there's so many easy ways of getting your name embedded into the market um, without going absolutely full throttle. Um, Definitely. And I think you'll also see Americans are, are real yes people, which is great. Like everyone's up for meeting for a coffee in certain states, but making sure that you actually get yourself over the line with signed terms of business or getting embedded, like the amount of people that say, Maria, I've sat on brief briefing calls and I shortlisted and then I've heard nothing. Um, I think as amazing as the US is, some people think it's going to be easy. It's not easy you're definitely going to get more for your money and you're going to get higher fees but you're still going to have to put in that work and build those relationships and nurture um when it comes to a bd point point of view yeah very much so. and i will say it's a lot easier to start having genuine sales conversations with the us um, clients it's a lot longer 
to get the decisions signed off. It's, it's a lot more yeah. due diligence they go through to get things signed off as well. Um, yeah. Just a couple. I'm just conscious of time. So there's a couple of couple of points. Is what we've seen work really well with regard to marketing and sales into going into the US. Uh, community building number one. That's been a huge yeah. huge one. So you build a US community from the UK first. And if any of you want any help with that, I'm happy to introduce you to some ideas that we've seen around that. The branding piece I think is massive. We've got a couple of members now. I was watching one of them the other day. They were being interviewed on TV. They're over in New York being interviewed on the New York TV. It was absolutely fantastic. So proper branding, proper branding presence, saying we are here, we're making a true commitment around that, which I think is good. Um, the podcasting strategy, bizarrely, which is a bit of a, a random one, it's, it's been so popular and well-received, well I think. So getting US people onto podcasts, they sort of love it and they they really consume it as well. So that's a really good way of getting in front of, of decision-making, I think, as well. A um, cu couple of questions that just to sort of close off a little bit, and mm -hmm. we're going to touch on a visa one very quickly towards the end. The... Um, yeah. If, 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 if someone's asking, is it, is it negative to basically say that you are a UK-based, UK recruiter in London working in the US, or do you need to try and pretend you're a US recruiter? No, I think you can be honest. And as long as you're backing yourself up with why, why you, you know, you're an expert in the market, you're an expert in the vertical you work in, you're entering the US market. I think a lot of clients will go candidate first. Um, so, you know, get get your products, get your candidates and then go and find your clients. Um, but I'd say UK recruiters are received really well in the US, as long as you're really showing your added value um, mm -hmm. and why you, as soon as you've demonstrated kind of your competency and your capability, um, you can get really sticky. So I don't think you need to hide the fact. Great. So Charlie, no need to pretend you're from Texas. And put, <laughs> put, put the crazy accent on with the hat. Um, and then the last one, let's just touch on a, on a, on a visa one, if that's okay. It's been a couple of visa mm -hmm. questions. So um, small businesses, how easy is it to obtain a US work visa for UK employees? Um, and the second part of that question is how easy is it actually set up a US entity if we do decide to go and do that down that route? Someone said to me on a call the other day, setting up a US entity is as easy as buying a burger and Burger King. <laughs> but <laughs> there you no, go. seriously, I would say so on your visa, um, it's actually amazing. So you're most likely to get an E2 visa, which is a business um, investment visa. So treaty between the UK and the US. Um, you definitely want to work with the US attorney um, for your immigration visa, because what they'll do, which is worth their weight in gold, is put together your business plan um, for you. We've actually seen businesses be able to get E2 visas in about six months. Um, what you do need to do is show that you've put in an irrevocable investment into the US market. So as soon as you start thinking about the US, start tracking all the costs that you are paying to a lawyer for your terms of business, to a telephony platform for your numbers, like any trips you do with the team, because all of that can be accounted towards your um, irrevocable investment. But I'd say if you have built, you know, a strong business case, business plan, it, it is quite easy to get your E2 visas. Um, in terms of setting up an entity and incorporating, again, we would say do a recruit from afar because as soon as you incorporate or register your business in the US, you create what they call a nexus, which mm -hmm. is a taxable presence. So you've actually got advantages of doing um, business from your UK office. But like you say, James, you'll have trigger points that actually it makes more sense for you to set up um, an entity and incorporate that can be done fairly cheaply and fairly quickly. So that's what you'll also need to do to get your EIN number, which is your kind of business um, number to open a US dollars account in the US. Fantastic. Maria, as always, an absolute pleasure to catch up with you. So I'm conscious of time. This was someone's lunch break. So I said, we'll, we'll cut it to keep it to <laughs> half an hour. Um, 
there's obviously lots of stuff that's going on at the moment in the US, lots of stuff going on internationally, just full stop. And um, anyone listening in today, if you want to reach out to Maria and the guys at PGC, I highly recommend it just to have a conversation, look at their content they're putting out, their guides. It will really make it easy for you to understand how to do this. Um, if you're interested in talking to other recruitment leaders who have done this, then have a chat with us at the Recruitment Network. We've got a whole bunch of people who've done this really successfully. We've also got a few who've got it completely wrong as well, but to make it fundamentally clear as well. So it's not always plain sailing. That's why you've got to get the advice where you possibly can. Um, hopefully you found that useful, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Maria, as always, absolute pleasure to see you. Thank you for joining us. No, uh, thank you for having me. Look forward to the next LinkedIn Live very soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, James. Great to see you. Take care.